Hey there, welcome to Saz and Bond Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Nadena, head of growth at Saz Group, serial acquirer, buying wonderful Saz businesses to take them to the next level. And here I chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business a success. And today with me again is Jason Freed, uh, co-founder of 37 Signals and a lot more. <laughs> and this is what uh, we're going to talk about today. Welcome to the show. It's good to be here. Cool. I do not have a fun fact about your last name this time. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that's right. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. Well, it's okay. They have all the fun facts now. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So uh, I guess, you know, once is out, campfire is out. I got my welcome email yesterday. So oh, cool. thank you for that. <laughs> of course. Um, and this is exactly what I want to pick your brains about. So let's start at the beginning. What is Once? Well, Once is a new brand for us. Um, it's under the 37 Signals umbrella. And Once products are going to be uh, products. They're not services. They're products. They're things that you buy. You pay for once, just like a jar of peanut butter. You don't keep paying for that every month. I mean, you do if you buy a new jar. Bad analogy, perhaps, but anyway, you get the point. Um, you buy it once, you download it, you run it on your own server, and you're done. There's no subscriptions, there's no recurring revenue. Um, maybe you have to buy another version in two years if we upgrade to like a 2.0 or something. That's up to you, though. Totally up to you. But um, uh, that's that's the model. And then Campfire is the first product under the Once umbrella. So Campfire is a group chat system similar to something like Slack or Teams, but very simple, very straightforward. It's currently $299 US once you can run it with unlimited users. It's only bound by whatever hardware you have, and it can run on a Raspberry Pi and serve 250 people. So like it's, it's pretty awesome for 300 bucks and you also get all the code. So all once products also ship with all the code visible. So you can see all the rails code, everything, uh, HTML, CSS, of course, as well. And all the other things that we have going on in there. And, um, that's the idea behind once. Cool. All right. Well, yeah. for non-technical people, that would be confusing why we're talking about peanut butter raspberry pies, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> right. um, but yeah, uh, great idea. And I mean, campfire was born, um, doing some hard math here, 16, 18 years ago, 2000, 2006, six. Yep. 2006. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And I mean, uh, it was, as you said, uh, a little bit early for days. I mean, that was ICQ kind of popular that day. It was, yeah. ICQ, time? like that was that was sort of what everyone who was using this sort of thing was using. Um, yeah. And it was wonderful, and it was straightforward and simple. But it was technical and hard to install. I mean, not not hard to install if you were technical, but if you were hmm. just a company of seven people and you wanted to chat. Like it was too advanced back then for most people to deal with. And so that's why SaaS was a great model at the time. You know, you just sign up and you're, you're up and going. But we've invested heavily in making sure that once products can be really, really simply installed. Um, it's basically one single command in the command line. So in a terminal, uh, we email you the command line thing. Just mm -hmm. copy this and paste it into a terminal and like it installs itself. So before it was a really complicated. Now it's really simple. So it's kind of a, you know, it's coming back to the basics here. Right. And I've been, I've been reading some comments on Twitter and some people actually write that, you know, they, they would 
be happy to buy campfire just to pick on the code to like see how you guys are uh, you know are building your products behind the curtain so how do you react to 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 this kind of um comments i think it's it's great it's part of it's one of the use cases you know one of the use cases is buying it because you want to run a group chat system and perhaps you're sick of paying for slack or teams or whatever you're using over and over and over and over and essentially kind of getting the same thing every month even though you're paying for it every month um so if you want a chat system and campfire fits you great if you just want to learn and see how a really well-built commercial app um, from the people who built rails is built in rails uh we've spent an inordinate amount of time um refining the code making it really, really damn good. So it's a model application. It's like a perfectly built application. And so if your purpose of buying it is simply to learn and share it with your team and look at how it was done and pull it apart, that's fine too. Um, and and we, we, we expect many people to do that. Many people just to buy it, to tear it apart and take a look at it. Um, but we don't feel better or worse about whatever case you have. And there's a lot of cases. You might still want to use Slack, but you want to back up in case Slack goes down. Or you might want a totally air gap chat system just for the executive team that is completely separate from Slack. Um, and because you just don't want anything to leak anywhere. Or, you know, there's a million different reasons. Or you have a conference you want to spin up and you want to invite 300 people and you don't want to pay for 300 users. Like, just spin up Campfire for a weekend. You know, that's fine too. For 300 bucks, it's totally doable and totally worth it. So it's a lot of different use cases and whatever works for you is fine with us. Right. So, yeah. um yeah, so many questions about what you just said. Uh, okay. First of all, the pricing, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I want to ask why two ninety nine, and I feel like you're just going to say why not. Uh, but <laughs> it felt about right. It felt like uh, first of all, like you know, when you price something, it's got to make sense. So we think mm -hmm. like I mean, it's got to make sense for your business. So we think at two ninety nine. We can make this a very profitable business, uh, similar to the margins we have elsewhere, perhaps even even higher margins. We have, obviously have to sell a lot of copies. It's different because it's not recurring. So we have to keep selling the product. But $299 felt like the right number. And we wanted to surprise people. I think people were expecting this to be close to a thousand bucks or more. Many people also also thought we'd be selling like support contracts. Like, no, none of those things. It's 299 bucks. Now, we're calling it an, an introductory price. So maybe it goes up down the road. Maybe it goes down. Maybe we experiment. It, we don't know. The nice thing about selling things one off like this is that you can experiment with that freely and you don't have to worry about like, what do you do with existing customers who are paying you this or paying you that? Cause they're not paying you anything. They already paid you and they're done paying. So there's a lot more opportunity for exploring. And we can also think about pricing this at very different prices for developing markets. Um, there's a lot of demand. I know in like Brazil and India for our products, but uh, the cost of living is totally different and they can't afford the prices that we charge in U.S. dollars. So because this is a, a piece of software that you download and install, the marginal cost for us is very low. We're not maintaining the software. We're not hosting the system. So we might be able to charge you 50 bucks in your market equivalent, whatever the USD equivalent might be, perhaps. And we can still make a profit on that. It's more affordable for you and it doesn't cost us any more or any less to run it. So I think it's it's just like we're beginning at 299 and we'll see where it all goes from here, but it felt like the right number to go with. And so far, it feels like people are surprised by how low it is. Right. I guess my- We're actually, my... we had this one customer who's was paying something like, I think it was like $10,000 a month or something for Slack. 
um, in the UK. I might be getting the numbers wrong, but it was at least that. It might have been more. Um, and they just switched to campfire. And they're literally saving like 99.99%. I mean, it's like, it's ridiculous, you know? And so we're, we're, those, those stories are starting to bubble up here. And it's really incredible how much money you can actually save on something like this. Right. I think my guess was when we talked about it four months ago, uh, was seven ninety nine. So mm. I was off by five hundred bucks. Yeah, I mean, it might. It's funny because like we didn't like you know A B test the pricing. We don't know. Maybe four ninety nine would have worked just as well. We would have made an extra two hundred bucks per copy. I have no idea, um, but we feel good about it, and people seem to feel good about it. We wanted to make sure because this is the first new product of its kind under the once umbrella. And also, frankly, like I know this has been how software has been sold before, but not so software's aren't really sold this way today. So we want to come out with a big bang and make it a no brainer, an absolute no brainer. We also thought about like, what does it cost to go to a conference? Usually it's going to be like less than 300 bucks or more than 300 bucks probably. So can we price this less than a conference ticket? And you're going to get an actual product. So you can go to a conference and learn all these techniques, you know, in 45 minute talks, or you can actually see every technique how the whole thing was built from scratch uh, for two ninety nine and get a real thing, and you can even run the thing. So, and you can modify the thing, and you can fork the thing, and do what you want with the thing. Like this is how this is exciting. This is an exciting time for software. I mean, you can't modify SaaS SaaS tools really. I mean, like there's some minor things, and some companies will customize things for big clients or whatever. But to actually get the code base and do whatever the hell you want with it for two hundred ninety nine dollars is 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 a really special thing. And I don't think people were used to or were ready for it, frankly. All right. So yeah. you're bringing the excitement and innovation back to the software and to, to all the guys who want to pick your brain. I mean, look, there's a lot of the software industry right now is actually pretty exciting. I mean, AI is a pretty exciting place and, and there's a lot of cool stuff happening, but there's also a lot of um, it's been, let's just say it's been stagnant for a while. I think um, there's just been like, what, well, whatever you make, just sell it on a monthly basis and price it at, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15 bucks a user. And you know, that's it. So we wanted to bring a new business model back basically, and also a new distribution model back. And part of this is also driven in part by, um, our experience with Apple recently and before, which is having gatekeepers preventing you from just doing what the hell you want to do. Um, and we, we are just big proponents of the web and, and open independent things. And so like being able to own a product that you can screw around with all you want without having to ask permission. And for us to sell you something without having to ask permission, we don't have native apps. We have PWAs for, for, for campfire and they feel and look like native apps. They've got a home screen icon. They got, got a badge. They've got push notifications. Like none of this has to go through Apple or Android or anybody. It just is distributed directly to the customer. And that's another thing we wanted to really celebrate. Okay, that's great. Yeah. And uh, I, I listened to your to your episode with Lenny Richinsky, and mm. uh, I really loved uh, the book that you recommended uh, about uh, Russian artifacts. And of course, like for oh, yeah. me, it's it's you know it's not a book. It was my life because I grew up there uh, in the nineties. Uh, mm. So you know, I had the antenna. <laughs> yeah. So that's a pretty cool. Um, place to to take inspiration from like how did you even stumble upon this thing i can't quite remember how i found this book but um i don't remember so i'm not going to make up a story but I, it was a number of years ago and i've always been fascinated by um design out of like that's purely done out of necessity 
and just how clever and creative people can get when they just need something that doesn't exist and they have almost nothing. Like we can make a lot of things out of pretty much nothing. Um, and it just shows you don't need that much sometimes to make something clever. And also just the, the creative solutions are just incredible to see. It's a lot more interesting to me to look at something where there's scarcity and a creative solution than when there's plenty and a creative solution. So I just fell in love with the book. I thought it was really cool. There's actually, there's two versions of it. There's another one, I think from Eastern Europe or something. And then there's the Russian one, um, similar concepts, but I don't know. It just, I, I recommend it to everybody who asked me about design books. Cause it's of course almost, you would never hear about it from anybody else. And it's not a design book. Like most people would think about a design book. Um, and right. I've always taken inspiration from physical objects more so than like software interfaces. So I just, I love the book. It's great. And I recommend it to everybody. I wish I had a copy of it to hold up right now, but, um, maybe you can put <laughs> it in the show notes or something. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And, uh, just also about like innovation and experiments, uh, for, you know, the companies, I just had, uh, an episode with, uh, Amir, the founder of Doist and mm -hmm. what he told me about, um, was the time when the kind of hit that default live stage. And, uh, well, you guys been there for a while. Uh, so, and the fact that at the point you kind of relax, chill a little bit because you've been grinding, you know, building a product and building a company. And the risk there is to just set sail. Uh, and stop innovating and stop experimentation. So is it kind of your fear? I don't know how to better put it out there to just become default alive and like stop playing around with software and giving people the excitement that, that you feel uh, about software? That's an interesting question. Um, I think part of it comes with... Um, part of this comes from boredom to some degree, like, you know, we just launched, Hey, a few years ago, we just launched the Hey calendar. So we're doing like really exciting new stuff. We just have been radically improving Basecamp, but these are all still in the SaaS model. And we're just going to keep those as SaaS, like Basecamp and Hey, those are services because they're very complicated. They're very complex. I mean, they're hopefully simple on the surface, but there's a lot to running an email service and basically email or Basecamp is also an email service. We send millions and millions of emails out of Basecamp every day. So like it's a complicated, complex backend system. It needs to be a service. Um, and we like making those, but at some point you just have a new idea or you want to do something else. And David actually came up with this idea initially, um, this, this, it wasn't called once. So there wasn't campfire, but this just idea, like, can we just make software that you can install? Um, like this, this subscription fatigue, it kind of started bubbling up in the news a lot. And you hear people talking about this and then you see like BMW charging monthly fees for heated seats. And you're like, what is, eh. it's like a bunch of these things start to kind of scratch you in the same place and create like a little bit of a wound. And you're like, I don't like this anymore. Um, is there something else we can do here? Like, this is really irritating. Um, so we came up with this idea and it is it's an alternative. We're not like saying SaaS is done or gone or anything like that, but it's fun to play in both camps and to see what happens. Cause frankly, we don't know what's going to happen. This could fizzle out and go nowhere. This might turn into a small business, really, really small business. It could turn into a big business. We're probably going to build at least two or three or four of these before we figure out and, you know, figure out if this works or not for real. Um, but I, we didn't do it to, 
stay relevant or whatever, you know, like in that way. But we did it because we wanted to experiment with a new idea that 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 came up. And whenever we we decide that we want to build something, it's usually because we're irritated by something else. And this just happened to be irritating. And I think also the whole thing with Apple, although we started this before that, but it was still fresh in our mind from Hey in, in 2020 that we had to ask for other people's permission. Uh, just kind of bugged us. We really wanted to kind of lean into into independence and, and giving away the code and the whole thing. So I don't know. It, it's it's not a there's no there's no clear line between like exactly why we wanted to do this. I think there's a lot of reasons we wanted to do it, um, and also the tech had come a long way and things were possible now that weren't before, that made it really easy to make this um, a very simple install. And things weren't quite ready for that. Let's call it four or five years ago. So it all it's just a confluence of things, um, and it felt right. Whether or not like people care, I don't even know. We're going to find out so far. It seems like people do on day one here, um, but we'll see how, how long it lasts. So it's hard to say if this is like um, staying innovative or not, because if no one cares about it and it goes nowhere, like we had fun, but it didn't really do anything. Um, would you call it innovative? I don't know then. Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. Um, so we'll have to see. Okay. Is that a good I, answer? I, I don't know. I'm kind of like, <laughs> you know, we don't really always have very clear reasons for doing things. We have like mm -hmm. feelings and, and directional feelings. Like we should try this. I don't know. Let's see what happens. Uh, this yeah. is kind of interesting and, and it's fun to kind of poke the bear in a different way and poke the industry in a different way and surprise people and you know, whether or not it works, who knows, but it's fun. I think we're trying to have some fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, yeah. I like how, you know, you're trying to stay humble about it, but uh, I mean, obviously everyone knows Basecamp, everyone knows you and David. And I mean, in, our little bubble that we're broadcasting for, right? Um, and um, I just remembered like when you started talking about once and then about Campfire, because it was your project 18 years ago. Um, yeah. I remembered a story another founder told me um, his first business was selling Hawaiian t-shirts. Great idea, especially given that it's Canada. Um, and it <laughs> failed miserably. Um, mm -hmm. And then he started um, building a SaaS and it's, you know, it's a good, profitable company. They're running they're you know, everything's perfect. And now he's like out of boredom. He's like, now we have, you know, the reputation that we do something valuable. We know how to talk to the customers. We know how to sell when like there's so much acquired knowledge now. Should I go back and try to sell Hawaiian shirts? <laughs> right. <laughs> Would that be successful, like right now, given you know that people know me on Twitter? You know, maybe um, you know that bro culture would support this idea and you know start buying my Hawaiian T-shirts to go to Bali uh, for for winter because like everyone does it apparently now. Um, <laughs> so. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not asking if you know. You just thought, oh, it failed back then, but you know, now we're now people know us and they will buy. But is it easier now to like, given all the years you've put into the business, your reputation, the fact that it's still a great product? Does it get easier to ship something and get the feedback? This episode is sponsored by Rewardful.com. Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage, and scale for SaaS companies. 
log your customer acquisition cost and only pay affiliates based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Building a successful affiliate program can be a little bit intimidating figuring out where to get started. That's where Rewardful has taken what they've observed from their most successful customers' affiliate programs and distilled that into an exclusive online course. The exciting part? Their affiliate marketing course is absolutely free. And by joining the waitlist today, you'll get early access to it as soon as it goes live. Join the waitlist at rewardful.com course rewardful.com slash course and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. You know, what's interesting is that things tend to come around. So uh, Campfire was pretty good back then, but then like Slack kicked our ass. I mean, frankly, they had better product and they did some new things with, especially with, with bots and stuff that were just not, had not been done. Um, and their onboarding was excellent and it took off and, and um, it was a great product. And it still is a great product in some ways, but it's become very complicated, convoluted, expensive, and complex. And what happens is, is this is often what happens with SaaS software, because in order to justify paying for it month after month after month after month, companies have to keep adding more and more and more and more. And especially as they go upstream to bigger companies and sell more seats, they have to satisfy all sorts of enterprise complexity. So the complexity of their customers makes it into the product and you see that complexity. If you go to Slack, the setting screen is like a mile long and there's all these obscure things you can do probably because someone who's paying them $180,000 a month said, we need this. And so they added it, right? And so what happens is, is that as that product has evolved, it's become complicated and convoluted and it opens up room again at the bottom for something super simple. And in many ways, like if Slack had re-released the original Slack right now, it would disrupt itself because it'd be like, wow, this is so simple and so easy. And it's like, so great. And wow. And that's essentially what Campfire is doing is like, it was around, it kind of went away. I mean, it's still in Basecamp, so it didn't go away, but it became a different product in a sense. It actually always has exit. We still have, I think, 200 customers using the original Campfire. Um, so we still, that's still around as well. Um, but it was, we haven't been selling it publicly that much lately obviously. But what's happened is things get complex and they move up the chain and it opens up room again. And so we wanted to, I, I believe that like chat should be radically simple. You see a billion people using iMessage. You see billion people using WhatsApp and using Signal and these things that are so radically simple and everyone just knows how to use them. And it's like, why is business chat become so complicated and convoluted and expensive when these other things are free and simple still? So we just kind of wanted to fill that gap again. And then also, of course, with the code and the, and the business model, it's just like an opportunity to do more of the interesting, simple things that um, have fallen out of favor. So I think what happens again is like these things are cyclical and it's been so long, like you said, what, 18 years or so, you know, Slack, I don't know when Slack came out a few years after uh, Campfire, whenever it was, I'm not sure, but like... It's net, it's long enough now in this world of tech that like there's room to cycle back to the simpler things. And because this cycle of SaaS, which has been going on for about 20 years now, um, Basecamp in fact turns 20 in three days um, in February 4th, um, that's a cycle. And so it's time again to return back to some of the great early simple ideas. And in fact, internally, we talk about this in terms of the stone age. 
that we want once in many ways to return back to the Stone Age, look back to the Stone Age for some of the wonderful inventions of the Stone Age in software. There are some beautifully simple things that have gone away and they've become so complicated and complex and convoluted that people will be shocked when they see what it's like to just use something simple again. And so we're aiming to build those kinds of quote, Stone Age tools in a modern way where people are gonna think, wow, this is amazing. And you're like, yeah, this is how it was 20 years ago, actually. It was pretty amazing back then too. We tend to think that things only get better in tech and they do broadly, but they also leave some good ideas behind, which are, I think, worth revisiting. And that's sort of what we're doing here. Okay, all right. So yeah. uh, I was trying to you know, research um, about commoditized software, you know, and actually I found that the first time the topic was brought up in 2004 at the Innovation Summit at Stanford University. So exactly 20 years later, we're talking about software as a commodity and you're, you know, bringing back the, the Stone Age tools. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I was started, uh, I started thinking, um, like, what else? What else could you do? Because like chat makes sense. Obviously, everyone needs chat, right? Um, so CRMs, probably not, right? They need some dependencies. They need some uh, integrations. Product management tools? Are you going to build <laughs> uh, a competitor to Basecamp? <laughs> well, I'll share a couple things. So I'll show you maybe like some stuff we're thinking about. So mm -hmm. first of all, CRM, by the way, strangely is like the top request we get. And I'm amazed by how much love there is still for Highrise, our old CRM tool, um, and how much people are frustrated by the existing CRM tools being, again, too complicated. Your point about dependencies, CRM's tricky because it probably requires some email integration and with an installed system like Once Products, integrating with a mail server that someone also has to install and set up, it, it can be, it can be, it's borderline too complicated for what we're aiming for here doesn't mean that it's off the table, but it's not going to be the next thing we work on. Let's just say, um, I think there's a number of tools that exist, um, that are, uh, sort of dead tools that have kind of gone away that are really quite interesting. And I'll give you one example, um, wikis. So, uh, I know notion of course has sort of become in many ways, a modern day wiki, but notion is way overkill way overkill for a lot of things um, and ultimately way expensive for a lot of things. And I think wikis are one of those things that are really an interesting category that's really been forgotten. It's basically been forgotten. I know Wikipedia, of course, exists, but like, gosh, is there anything else publicly that really exists on that kind of platform? It's such a wonderful thing. And in fact, one of the first things David ever built was something called InSticky, which was a wiki on using Ruby. And um, we're kind of partial to this idea of, of wikis. Now, I'm not saying we're going to make that next, but as an idea, as an example of a Stone Age tool that uh, has a lot of potential, and I think will be seen as, oh my God, if we were to do it, like, wow, it's that simple? Like, I really don't need this other stuff I'm paying ridiculous amounts of money for every single month just to make some text documents that are linked up. Like, you know, and that's the kind of thing you can have locally hosted because it doesn't have all these independencies necessarily. There's a lot of opportunities. So that's an example of the kind of thing. Um, there's some tools within Basecamp that could be standalone tools, perhaps. 
Um, and there's, there's a variety of other tools that have kind of come and gone over the years that I think we could, we could bring back. So I, I don't know actually what we're going to do exactly next. We're going to start on the next thing probably next week, which is like, first of all, deciding what it might be and then going for it. But we, we have some candidates, but um, wiki, the wiki idea is an example of the kind of thing that existed in the stone age that is now still around in some capacity, but sort of, I think, overdone in many ways. And is an opportunity. Um, so that's, you know, the model. So if you pop that in your head, there's a few other things that might come to mind uh, along those lines. Okay. All right. Um, I'll keep, <laughs> I'll keep shooting. But I'm surprised by how many people ask for CRM though. It's just like, it's, and the thing is about CRM that's interesting is that it means so many different things to so many different people. And we have some real ideas on what we would do if we were to do this. But I still think that a CRM tool from us would be a SaaS tool because we'd want it to integrate in a way where people wouldn't have to set things up. Uh, and I think that we would probably go SaaS if we did that. And we're not, we're not, a we're not done building SaaS tools. Um, so we might, we might do a CRM. We'll have to see. That's cool. All right. That's exciting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. so potentially you are going to build a competitor to notion. You've built a competitor to Slack and that's like, uh, you've been talking about it so, so much that, you know, Slack frustrated so many people because it's just so expensive and is getting more and more complex. Did you get any feedback from Slack? Like didn't people from Slack reach out <laughs> and say, Hey, no, <laughs> I haven't heard from anybody. It, it's, it's Slack. I think Slack has become a big, huge corporate behemoth now, right? So by what Salesforce and like, you know, it's it, it it it's not the same company that that Stuart Butterfield ran years ago. I mean, it's interesting when 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 Slack was first launched, Stuart sent me a note. Um, we were friends back then. I mean, maybe we're still friends now, but I haven't talked to him in forever. Um, but um, he sent me a, like a courtesy note. He goes, "Hey, we're going to be launching this thing called Slack, and it's probably sort of kind of going to compete with Campfire." Um, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. No one knew at the time that Slack would be huge. Maybe he did, but he just sort of sent me a note ahead of time. And that's the last time I've heard from anyone from Slack. <laughs> it was, was prior to Slack launching. Um, uh, I don't think they give a damn. I don't think they think that this is a risk or, or, or a threat or any of those things. And it probably isn't really, you know, uh, ultimately, but it could be. Um, but you know, we're not out to like put them out of business. That's not our approach. Um, we're out to create alternatives to, to, and to build great products that fit within a community that wants them. And if that's a hundred thousand companies, great. If it's 20,000 companies, great. If it's a bunch of people who just want to learn to, to code and look at a real product, great. Um, I know that people are leaving Slack and droves at the moment. Um, we're hearing about that. And I know a lot of people are, will be switching to campfire um, because it's just, it's, it's, it's all they need and it's way more affordable. But do I think it's like going to really hurt Slack? I, I don't know. I doubt it, but who knows? So okay. I don't know why they would, my point is, I don't know why they would reach out to us. Uh, I, I think that we're just like a, a, a fly, uh, uh, you know, on the ass of an elephant. I don't think they really pay much attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. All right. So one more thing that, um, yeah, I, I heard on one of your podcasts and I thought I should definitely ask because like you definitely thought about that. Um, there was a story you told about uh, Obama administration reaching out to you guys about using base camp and you had to say no because the level of like security and compliance was 
not something you were really interested in, right? Uh, you couldn't build it at the time or you didn't want to. Uh, in this case, in case of campfire, right, there is no problem uh, for any administration to use it, right? And I was kind of curious if you thought about, uh, and I'm sure you did, um, any kind of like abuse cases of this kind of software and if there is any way, you know, you're planning to address that, fight that, I don't know. Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts about that? Well, part of why we built this was again, so anyone can run it. Um, and we even thought about like the, David particularly is really interested in this idea of like someone at NORAD, which is like the um, North American, uh, I don't know, uh, nuclear, I forget what it actually, there's no other N in there, but um, it, it's, it's like, it's like the, the, the top secret security group that's watching for nuclear weapons essentially. Right. And they have to have the most stringent security demands um, for anything that they run. And that, that, that once, or the campfire can actually run in an air gapped environment, literally can run without any connection to the internet. It can run in a local area network without any connection to the internet, totally air gapped from the world. That was like something he was particularly excited about. And that's of course something governments can use and you can use it in, in, you know, in Antarctica, if you're like on some expedition and you want to set up a local area network and people have Wi-Fi and you can, you know, have a chat thing without any internet connection. It's pretty amazing. Um, we don't know who's going to use it, what they're going to use it for. And we don't have any, ultimately any connection to the thing once it's sold. We can't disable it remotely. Uh, it's not hosted on our network, on our servers at all. It does ping back at 2 a.m. every morning to see if there's an update. And if there's an update, it'll download the update, which you can opt out of. So if you don't want auto updates, you can turn that off, but we have it on by default. Um, but other than that, we don't know anything. We can't control anything. Once you have it, you have it. And if you fork it, it's yours and we can't, we don't support that. Like you can do it, but we can't send you updates that automatically merge in. Um, so there's not much we can do. And I don't think there is anything we should do. Uh, I, like if you could imagine um, Adobe 30 years ago, deciding not to sell Photoshop to some company or some person because they're going to use it in some way. Like how was, how were they going to know how anyone was going to use it? Nobody would expect, nobody would say you made this terrible propaganda uh, uh, poster with Photoshop, uh, Adobe is culpable because of that. It's like, no, it's a tool. And so Campfire is a tool to talk to other people. That's all we can do. We can't do anything else. And I, I happen to like that a lot. I think if you're running a service and you're hosting and providing a platform for, I think you ultimately have more responsibility um, for anything that might be public. But since that's not what this is, um, anyone who's going to buy it is going to buy it and they're going to use it however they want to use it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. exactly what I kind of thought about it. It'd anyway. be like a company selling printer paper and, mm -hmm. and they print, you know, and someone prints some terrible shit on this paper and sends it out and it's horrible. Like, you know, it's it, the, the company that makes the paper has no control over what you do with the paper. There's nothing you can do. And so that's kind of what this kind of software is. And all traditional software is like this. SaaS is different though because you are essentially providing the service and platforming and different companies are going to have different points of view on, on how to handle it. Obviously it's an unsolved problem. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So since you mentioned the updates, uh, as far as I remember, once you pay for once, <laughs> um, for campfire, you are getting the updates or at least like you said on the first version. So like 1.2, 1.3, 1.4, 1.5, 1.6, 1.7, 1.8, 1.9, 1.10, 1.11, 1.12, 1.13, 1.14, 1.15, 1.16, 1.17, 1.18
1.9.100. And if you decide to build like a huge update, which is like dramatically different from what you shipped at first, then maybe, you know, you would have to buy a different version. So have you thought about, you know, because like now it's out, right? And uh, I loved the the email. I actually, you know, I'm not going to be the one like installing Campfire, right? Sure. Um, maybe, maybe somebody. I mean, maybe I did. I'm not will. technical. <laughs> I'm not technical. I'm really not. And I I signed up for DigitalOcean because one of the things we wanted to do internally was like allow ask everyone internally. You know, we're a software company, but not everyone knows how to do this stuff. So like. Everyone can just, here's the email, figure it out. And it, it took like seven minutes, you know, like you, you sign okay. up for, I signed up for DigitalOcean. I get a droplet. I follow the directions. I did this. I pointed my DNS from my domain that I'm hosting at GoDaddy or something to this IP address, which uh, DigitalOcean gave me. And I run one line in the command line that they have. And it's just like, it just worked. I was shocked. Like I literally was shocked. I'm like, I can't believe it really is as easy as we, we said it was going to be. I mean, you absolutely could do it. You don't need to know, hardly know anything. As long as you can log into, if you have a domain and you can log into your domain provider and point the DNS to a different IP, which like you can figure that out. And then you have like a DigitalOcean account, which is like uh, 12 bucks a month or something. You can mm-hmm. like, you can run this. Absolutely believe you could run this in, in 10 minutes. Okay. Anyway. Sorry. I go might ahead. give it a go just because you said that. <laughs> I want to give you the credit. Like everyone can do this. Truly, like truly it's not hard. It's worth even trying just to see if you can pull it off. Right. I'll just yeah, yeah. I'll just put a timer on 10 minutes and I'll just yeah. you know. That's it. Give yourself 10 for, minutes for an experiment. Um but yeah, so I of course um subscribe to be like one of the first users for my own selfish reasons to write the copy of your email and I loved it mm. as you know cuz writing is something you guys also do pretty great. Um, but anyway, I kind of lost my train of thought of what I wanted to ask. We were talking about, um, you know, before, like, are you worried that someone might use it for something that you don't want them to use it for? And then, um, talk about, we're talking about updates. So updates. like, yes, uh, thank you. Ooh. Yes. Updates. Right. <laughs> Thanks. Anyway. So, um, yeah, have you thought about like the the updates and how you're going to yeah. like navigate this and how at some point it, it's almost like with with lifetime deals, right? People kind of expect like they paid already, right? They want to use it virtually for free as long as they want. Um, how are you going to yeah to navigate like the, the, the big changes? Like if it's not one point yeah. five. What, yeah. Well, so like? here's the plan. Yeah. The plan is right now 1.0 is out today, February 1st, 2024. We launched 1.0 to the world, Campfire 1.0. And um, we're going to find bugs fast, I'm sure. We found a bunch before and we fixed it, you know, got it as best we could for 1.0. And there's going to be things we want to add to it. For example, David's working on a, like a, a bot interface and API. Like we don't have that, a webhooks thing. We don't have that in the current 1.0. We're absolutely going to have that in a 1.x version. So the idea is, along with other things, any updates within the same version number will be free. 
So it might be 1.1, might be 1.01, 1 might be you know 1.2, 1.3, 1.3.5, whatever, wherever we go. Traditionally, a 2.0 release or a major version number release is like a massive change in some way to the product. So we would have to come up with something that was very additive. Like we could, I'm just making something up off the top of my head here. We could add a video conferencing and voice messaging and whatever. I don't know, right? Um, that would be something that is not like an improvement to the existing little things that it does. It's like a radical step change for what it can do. That might constitute uh, a 2.0 release. Or we could add some sort of asynchronous message board style feature where it could now be a bulletin board and a chat or something. And now it's like, it's like a different product now. It should feel like a 2.0 should feel like a different product. Now, here's the plan. So let's say we come out with something that's like a 2.0. Um, whether or not you want to upgrade is totally up to you. So you can stick with what you have. And this is true about every single subsequent version. So 1.0 you buy, we have the auto updates working. You can opt out of that. You can update uh, to any version you want at any time or not update at all. Um, when 2.0 comes out, we'll make an announcement. We'll probably offer, of course, like an upgrade price, I'm guessing, for people who already have 1.0, which I assume would be cheaper than people buying it from scratch. And they can choose to do that as well. And if they want to do that, great. If they don't feel like it's worth it, they don't have to. Um, what they have will work forever as whatever version they had before will work forever. And, and that is that. So it'll be a choice. And, uh, you know, again, it's not planned. It's not like we'll do this every year. Uh, I don't know when we'll do it or if we'll ever do it. Maybe we never get to a two, to a 2.0 with this. Maybe we just like get to a 1.5 or something and it's really, really, really solid. And it's just totally done essentially as is it, it is what it is. And we just sell that one for $2.99 a month or not a month uh, once or, or $3.99 once, whatever it is at the end of the day. And that's just that, you know, that might happen too. So we don't really know what's going to happen, but that's how it would happen if it, if it did. All right. So uh, yeah. I just want to ask you a couple more questions and, you know, uh, sure. 2023, we talked about it. SaaS is not dead, but it's definitely, uh, it's not, <laughs> it's not in the best shape. It hasn't been easy. Um, so what do you think 2024 is going to be about? Is it, you know, everyone's saying it's efficiency, profitability, everyone's turning back to like scrappy techniques, going back to like the startup phase, uh, ditching, you know, Google ads and like big, uh, costly tools like Slack. And do you, with all the tools that you're planning to release, kind of play into that, you know, your use our products, cut the cost, you know, and just focus on your product. So what would be your prediction for 2024? Well, I think the economy has squeezed companies to a certain degree here and people are cutting costs and looking at costs. Some of them are looking at costs for the very first time because they're not getting funding uh, or they're not getting more funding and they're running low on money. And they're like, well, how do you deal with that? Well, you've got to cut costs. So I think it's, it's in, there's a mindset shift that is prevalent now in the industry and it's healthy. So I think that companies should look at how they're spending their money and especially their recurring costs and their variable costs. Uh, I'm a big fan of trying to fix as many costs as I can in my business. Variable costs make me nervous um, in a sense because you just don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, things can get really wildly expensive all of a sudden. Um, 
the more fixed costs you have, the more predictable they are, and you can plan for them and you can budget for them and you can sort of rely on them and go, look, for campfires, 300 bucks, you know, I, I'm done with that expense. Like that's in the past now. I never have to think about it again. To me, that's good business. Now, it might not, that product might not be what you want, but the more things you can find like that, I think in your business where you can put the costs aside and put it behind you is, is wonderful. And this is one of the reasons that's, you know, pushed us off the cloud in many cases. We're doing a lot more stuff local now. We had to make a big expense to buy hardware, but you got that done, you know, it's done. And, and, and uh, we don't have to keep buying. I mean, maybe you have to buy new hardware every seven years or something or whatever, but like we're not paying month after month after month after month in cloud spend. We're saving millions and millions of dollars over a handful of years here. I think that trend is going to uh, continue and accelerate. And I think it's good and healthy for the industry and for companies and for entrepreneurs to begin to think about the costs out of the equation. Um, I don't think people are going to like dump SaaS in any way. There's a lot of wonderful tools that underpin people's businesses that they really truly rely on and there are no great alternatives. And even if there were, saving money may not be the primary motivation in certain cases if certain things are really deeply ingrained with the way you work and how you are, right? So there's a lot more to consider. But what I think is good is that I hope that once begins to create a bit of a movement here, that we're not the only ones doing this. And of course, we're not the first either. Like other people, there is software you can install, obviously. And there has been forever. Um, but returning to it and reconsidering it and having hundreds or thousands of options instead of just like six options um, is wonderful. And I think that we're going to see more and more people see this as a business model, especially we're probably going to share some sales numbers more at some point. Uh, this morning, we, we, we said that like, we had a beta over the past month or so, and we've sold over a hundred thousand uh, dollars. So we've sold in the six figures. So I'm not going to say exactly, but I'm going to say over a hundred thousand uh, dollars worth of product so far. Um, and I think as we share these numbers and success stories, I think it'll give companies or entrepreneurs, software engineers, uh, a, a look and they'll go, Hey, you know, this is interesting. Maybe I can make a business out of this approach or on this approach or behind or under or within this approach. That's a good thing too. So I think we're going to see more products like this coming out, which is going to provide more options for companies to decide how they want to run their own businesses and uh, hopefully save a lot of money. Um, I also think that this can really begin to empower IT uh, departments again. I think IT departments have felt uh, a bit helpless. They basically just become like cloud manage spending managers versus like getting to do really interesting work. Um, and I think that we're going to see more IT departments uh, find, find that they can be a cost savings for companies uh, versus a, a cost center. Uh, and I think that's pretty exciting for them as well. So we'll see some sort of the rebirth of, of IT, I think, in a lot of ways inside oh. companies. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I actually have this question. I wanted to ask this question because, uh, yeah, you released um, kind of like the first version of, uh, of Campfire to your, I don't know, I don't want to say developer customers, but um, still, you know, you, you must have some like reviews already. Is there anything that people, you know, help you do in terms of, you know, how to, how to develop this thing. Yeah. I mean, we've had a lot of, we've fixed a lot of bugs and people spotted a lot of bugs and little issues and UX things and little things that we just missed. Um, and it was a huge help for us. 
And we typically don't do any public beta kind of stuff. Um, we typically like for the Hey calendar, like we launched the Hey calendar when the Hey calendar was ready. There was a handful of people that got to use it a little bit early, but mostly we just wait till something's done and we're comfortable with it. When we get it out there. This was a little bit different. And also what was interesting about this is that campfire is such a collaborative product that it was fun. Like we have a, we've set up a campfire uh, instance for early testers. So we're using the product. They're giving us feedback within the product. So it kind of was really a wonderful cyclical experience to like see them using the product and, and they're installing it themselves and sharing screenshots. It was, it was kind of a fun, fun experiment actually. And we learned a lot from them and made a lot of changes. Um, and have seen them do some wonderful things and exp extend it in different ways and sort of surprise us already with, with what you can do when you have the code. Um, so it was very worthwhile and very, very helpful actually for us. And, um, I know David especially was, was excited to, uh, um, to, to get, it's kind of like, it's sort of like working on open source, but commercially, and it was kind of a fun return to some like early open source stuff where there was like a really small, tight community, just making stuff quickly and having fun with it and sharing feedback and, and being very, um, very thoughtful in the feedback and very thorough in the feedback and very friendly in the feedback versus like, you know, sometimes someone says something on Twitter. It's like, that sucks. It's so easy. It's so stupid. Why didn't you do that? You know, this, these kind of early testers are not that way. They're, they're very much like, have you thought about this? And it would be kind of cool if you did that. And what about this? And actually I'm going to write some code. What do you think of this? Or isn't there a better way to do this? And like, oh yeah, that is a better way of doing it. That's pretty cool. So it's been really fun. We really enjoyed it. We'll probably keep that campfire open now. Um, not, we're not adding more people to it, but it's like the original core group of people who are helping us make this essentially over the past month. Um, and so it'll probably just kind of live on and we'll just have a place where a small core can hang out and, and chat. And we'll probably throw new things into that one first before people, before we release it to everyone else so they can sort of see it and, and give us some thoughts on it. That's exciting. All right. Yeah. Okay. So just one, one more question. Cause, uh, you know, yep. it's a usual question on the podcast and somehow you were the only guest who got away. So, <laughs> uh -oh. um, what was that again? Uh, that is what so far, I mean, you've been doing this for a while. Could you pinpoint the biggest win and the biggest failure in for campfire for no, or in general, yeah, in general for like 37 signals and everything you've built. I mean, the biggest win we've ever had is, is Basecamp, like broadly. Um, and I think um, the win, but but the win, the win I think was realized really early. We didn't know what it was going to become, but the excitement around, I remember getting to $5,000 a month in recurring revenue, which we thought would take about a year to get to. But we got there and I think it was something like six weeks or something like that. And it like just blew us away that that was like, like, whoa, we've got something here. That feeling, you know, a month and a half in is a better feeling than today's feeling about Basecamp, even though it's doing a zillion X, you know, because that was the moment of like, oh my God, like we've got something here. This is, that is the exciting feeling. And then there's the feelings where you, you realize you don't got something. <laughs> so to me, it's always like the got something feeling and then, and maybe we don't got something feeling. And, um, I think that there's, there's, you know, I remember actually, it's interesting. I remember when, when Slack first came out and I remember feeling like campfire was going to be completely decimated. I just remember like, like that's a good product shit. <laughs> and it's like so much better than what we are offering. 
And I remember feeling, I had that feeling in my stomach that like just really uncomfortable feeling of defeat. Like we're going to lose here on this thing for sure. Like for sure. Um, and uh, I remember that feeling very distinctly. Um, and even being a bit nervous that like, man, are they going to eat into to base camp too? Um, and it turns out that that's not really what happened um, at all, but it did happen with campfire. And I feel like that's the first product that was my first experience having someone basically take us on head on in a, with a very similar product and just like crush us basically. Now there's a lot of products like Basecamp project management tools or there's a bunch of them, but each one of them really has a unique point of view. Chat is kind of chat. Like it's pretty straightforward, the same essentially. And so that, that feeling, uh, was, was painful actually for me. I remember that. Um, so, um, as actually also felt a degree of jealousy, which I rarely feel in business, but I definitely felt it then. Um, and, um, the other thing that was interesting about that moment was I remember that a pr like, I feel like a year prior to that, we're like, what can we do with campfire? And we're like, I don't know. We don't have any, it's like, we don't have any new ideas. This can't be any better. It's just like a chat thing, you know? And then to have someone else come around and like do that. Uh, sort of, that was the feeling. So I'd say the base camp launch a month after launch was like the real wonderful thing. And then the, the original release of Slack. So maybe this is sweet revenge for us at some point. I don't know. There might be some of that, some of that in there. Granted, like this is not a zero sum game. Um, it's not like we're going to defeat anyone and that's not what we're out to do, but it is fun to come back around, especially to punch up uh, because <laughs> Salesforce owns it now. And we've, we've historically loved to punch at Salesforce. Um, and so it's kind of really fun. And also the other thing is that Salesforce, you know, they had this, this thing with like the software and like no software was sort of their, their, their thing. And maybe it still is their thing when they launched, like basically Salesforce was like, you know, the, one of the biggest initial SaaS tools. Um, they're like, they're against, an, they're anti uh, installing software. Um, and so now to, to kind of come back um, at them in a sense with installable software is just extra fun, frankly. And we'll see what happens in the end. Right. And you were sending an email yeah. to the founder. So we launched that. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we'll see. I mean, look, you know, again, uh, I, I want everyone to do well, frankly, like there's no reason why pretty much every company can't do well enough. You know, if they make a great product and trade your customers, well, there's very few zero sum games in software. Um, so, uh, you know, but we're, we just want to carve out uh, a really wonderful niche for people who really want what we want and love it this way and just want to pay once and, and come along for the ride. Something brand brand new that's, you know, of course, old. That's great. Uh, so, you know, I, I love the fact that, uh, I mean, you've been around for, for, for 20 years building different SaaS businesses. And uh, I just love how excited you guys are still uh, about this and like how much excitement you bring to people. I mean, the the comments you trigger on Twitter and just like the amount of attention in that little bubble is awesome. And I think you're inspiring a lot of people to yeah to move forward and to like think a bit differently. So yeah, thank you for doing this. Uh, and thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. I I will just say like I really hope that this kicks off. Uh, a renaissance in some ways in the software world that software does not have to just be rental. People can, can own the products um, that, that we're getting back to software products again. Of course, 
still there are many, but these kinds of tools have been rental for a long time. And so like, I do hope it inspires others to, to make these things and, and make, make great ones and, and launch new businesses and new business models. I mean, if that, that's, that's what this is really ultimately about is, is showing there's another way. So hopefully people will follow along. Great. Okay. Yeah. I'm excited to see how, how it's going to, uh, go on. So thank you so much for the story again. Uh, yeah, of course. hope to see you here <laughs> next time for the fourth. Yeah, let me know. I'll be around. <laughs> Thanks again. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Um, take care. Okay. Take care. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna at saas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS, but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS Group, a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saas.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.